Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. All right, everybody, good morning. Good morning. I will say that uh, if you are new to our community and you are wondering, uh, if, if you're kind of feeling it out, the thing that I, I know for sure to, to evaluate whether or not Jesus is in the building has to do with the lead guitar tones. And I don't know if you've been in a lot of other churches, but the lead guitar tones in this church are a, a, they're next level. So you, I just want to let you guys know that if, if, if you're ever wondering uh, what sets us apart, that was the first thing. When I started coming to this church and I saw Kyle up there, I was like, we, we have to stay for at least another week to see if this is a fluke, if this is, but uh, I'm so happy to see a full worship team up there. Um, it is a lot of fun and it feels like it feels it feels good. I talk to Jason a lot, and and we've missed it, and and so it, it feels great to be able to soak into some of those things. I'm not here to talk about uh, Kyle's guitar tone all all day, um, but I am here to open up our next teaching series, "Living Like Jesus." And if you were here last week, we went through our vision for 2023, and we talked about how. We want to actually put some flesh and some, some actual practical um, understanding around the language that you'll see pop up in our community a lot, the language like adoption, ambassador, abundance. You'll hear us use those terms a lot, and I'm very committed to not having our church experiences just be phrases and slogans that have no actual meaning to them. And so uh, we talked as a lead team about doing a series that actually unpacks what does it look like to do the thing that you see on the freeways sign outside, right? Learning to live in love like Jesus. It sounds great. It sounds all-encompassing, but what does that look like? Not just overall in your Christian experience, but what does that look like in our community? What does living like Jesus look like? How do we do that? And so, I'm excited to get started with that. So um, if you have your Bibles, would you open up to chapter 2 of the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2. So if you have a Bible or if you have an app, which is most likely, um, I guess, scroll to Luke chapter 2. I don't know the new phrases that I have to incorporate for for apps, but let's start our time in prayer. Um, Lord, you know that I bring a lot of grief about the news this morning into this space. Lord, would you help us as a community not um, let this space, not let your church, not let this experience be one more place where we just numb out and we just ignore what's actually happening, but that we would approach the reality of our world with open eyes and that the church could be a place where we do that. Lord, that this time on Sunday morning could be a place where even if we're pushing through on a text and we're really trying to understand you more, that we would not leave our hearts and minds at the door, but that we would understand that you've called us to bring all of that in. Help us to know and to 
um, approach you with the knowledge that, that you have so much grace and mercy for us as we royally screw things up all the time. Lord, would you pour out your mercy as we try to learn and as we try to talk and understand what it means to live like you. Have mercy on us for all the ways that we have gotten it and are getting it wrong. Lord, would you show us how to approach you with the knowledge that you are a loving and generous and gracious father to us teach us your word would you open our eyes would would we allow ourselves to be transformed by your word in jesus name amen all right so we're in luke chapter 2 and we're going to start at verse 41 it says every year his parents his being jesus his parents went to jerusalem for the feast of the passover when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the, after the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends, and when they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If that's just something that still exists in me. I'm going to call it out. You don't have to repeat it. It's not a rule. But um, I want to talk about this story a bit. Um, I don't know if you are aware of where I grew up. I grew up in Bishop. And who here has ever heard of or been through Bishop Yeehaw? I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about the Yeehaw-ness of Bishop really quick. Um, so humor me. But Bishop has the, is known in our uh in our park, we have a statue. Most cities have things that they're very proud of, of this is what we are about. Bishop has a mule because it is the mule capital of the world, and we have this holiday called Mule Days. Mule Days, I'm not making this up. It's not even a funny joke if I were. But Mule Days is this time where a tiny town uh, explodes and everything becomes mule stuff and people travel from all over the world to talk about mules I grew up there I have no idea what's going on with this holiday okay I don't know why it exists other than to say our small town goes from being uh, around 6,000 people to being about 30,000 people that like roam around and it gets really overpacked but that small town relies on that kind of thing this holiday of the Easter Passover, um, the town that was that is usually about twenty thousand people, there would be a hundred and fifty thousand people. 
that would show up to participate in the Feast of Passover. And it was this eight-day walk. Jesus and his parents would have to journey there. It was a journey to get to the Feast of Passover. And so they would pack light and all of these things. But you see this story of Jesus not following his parents back home. And I imagine this is like losing your kid in Costco. Like that amount of anxiety like would, would be showing up. Probably a little worse than that because you are among about uh, like 100,000 extra people who are all journeying and they turn around. Jesus is not there. And he is in the, the temple and he's asking questions. I love that the first thing that we see about Jesus is that he's asking questions. So when we talk about living like Jesus, we see that he is not just there quietly being obedient because one of the first things we see is Jesus is disobedient and he has to be sort of corrected by his parents. And And I just love reading this as a parent who has um, gotten frustrated with their child in public. And I go, okay, I'm okay. I can do this. Um, but when we look at and when we're talking about living like Jesus, one of the first things that I want to call us to is that Jesus calls us to remember and reflect on his life primarily, not to study it primarily, and not to just uh, flatly integrate it, not to transpose it, although those are okay things, those are great things. I love studying the word, but Jesus was a human life called to reflect on. So in what ways have we, have you, have all of us, not really learned how to look at the life of Jesus as something to reflect on, to, to appreciate, to be amazed by, to be compelled by. In Corinthians 9, Paul talks about this language where he says, I am compelled. And I think that so much of the ways in which we talk about the Bible is we try to convince we try to create arguments, and, and, and we try and best understand it, and we try to dissect it, and we, try, and we turn it into this, this, um, this project to be dissected. And the language in the, in the text says that Jesus' life compels us into a new way of life. How will we look at, the, at living like Jesus, not just to study it, because I think that that's fantastic, but how are we actually reading his life, looking at what he does to be compelled by his life? Colossians 2 actually warns us, saying that philosophies can actually take a person captive. So when we start talking about Jesus as these ideas that are just for us to turn into a three-step program so that we can live the best life, I want to put a caution on that. I want to put a caution on our temptation to take what we are hearing here and so quickly leave behind being compelled, so quickly leave behind being amazed, being appreciative, having gratitude, and we move so quickly into, okay, how do I turn this into a three-step plan for me? And that's a temptation that comes up in all of us, but we will come back to this each week. How are we looking at living like Jesus by actually looking at his life and putting a pause on this temptation to consume his life just for us? Because so often it can turn into how do I create, how do I, how do I take the 
Jesus pill for my life. And so I just want to make sure that as we look to Christ, that we are, that we might take on a new way of reading it. And so it's, it's worth mentioning that as we start a series talking about living like Jesus, that there's a fair amount of humility that we have to have as we even start this. Because we are pretty far removed, no matter how easily we think we understand exactly what Jesus' life was all about and the culture that he was in and the world he inhabited. We are very far removed from the kind of world that we see popping up here. Jesus did not inhabit a Western world. Jesus did not inhabit a largely educated world. Jesus did not inhabit a modern world, a democratic world, a technological world. He did not inhabit a post-enlightenment world. All of these things which we take for granted in the ways that we read things, I'm going to encourage us as we move forward in all these topics that we, that we start with questions. That living like Jesus means we start with questions. And we, we so often approach church as the place to come for answers. And I would encourage us that looking at the life of Jesus hopefully will have us leave here with things to talk about, not answers to defend. That it would leave here with questions. That if we read the life of Christ and there's not a single thing in there that challenges you, or you don't see a way that he actually lives his life different, maybe that should raise some alarms in your head that if all we see in Jesus is that he looks the same as us, maybe we've made him in our image. God, we have to, as we look at the life of Christ, anticipate that coming up and say, Lord, where are you challenging me? What kind of questions should I leave here? Also, a reminder, Jesus was not a Christian. I know that that sounds like a weird thing, but when we think about that and we remind ourselves, Jesus was not a Christian. I'm just going to let you unpack that at home later. Um, that may, your head may be spinning like, I heard the worst thing at church today. Um, Jesus did not have a Bible. Okay? Jesus was born into expectations and histories. If you've ever read the gospel the whole way through, it is one after the other, Jesus disappointing those expectations. Jesus was a major disappointment to a lot of people. I'm going to let you unpack that one at home, too. I'm sorry, this is not, this may be my last sermon. I don't know what, what just happened, but um, living like Jesus means also, the first thing that I want to emphasize, what it means to live like Jesus, it means being human. Being human. Again, the, these are things where I want to leave you with some things to be talking about. What does it mean that living like Jesus means being fully human and recognizing how often God reveals himself in the stuff of life? Think about the entire Bible and the ways in which God shows his presence to us and the kinds of words that it says are holy, holy ground, the stuff of life. It says that we are formed from the dust. 
The kingdom of God is like a field. It compares us to sheep, goats. There's all of these things where we, when we start talking about where does the holy inhabit in our life, it's in the stuff, it's in the material, it's in the everyday practical things, it's in the dirt, it's in the animals, it's, it's, it's in the fire and the smoke and all of the ways that, that, we, that we understand where does the holy meet us. It's not in this abstract concept that we carry in our heads. It's in the very stuff of life. So much so that the creator of all things said, I want to make it as plain as possible that being human is a beautiful and holy thing not to be despised by taking on the shape of a man. Your humanity, your createdness, the stuff of life is beautiful and holy. Jesus being human means our humanity is not an unfortunate placeholder. Our bodies are not our enemies. The bland stuff of life can be seen as sacred with a little bit of imagination. So when we leave here and we think about what does it mean to live like Jesus, the first thing that I want to reiterate is it means being human, which involves the unfortunate reality that we will that we will disappoint. We will get hungry. We will get tired. We will do things poorly. We will fall off. There will be things that do not happen well. And it is okay that it is beautiful that you were created with a body to inhabit a physical world where the holy that ground, the very ground we walk on can be considered holy. And then as I was studying this and I was looking for all of the texts that support all these things that I was saying, if you could imagine a record scratch happening right here, I came across a, a portion of the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where I was looking for all these texts that support, like everything is spiritual and everything is holy. And Paul is talking about that there are some very clear distinctions between what and who is spiritual and who is not. And so I had to understand, so I had to back up because I found something that seemed like it was arguing with the point I was trying to make, and I got really upset. Um, as You can talk to Vanessa about how I, I respond when people bring up points that I don't like. Um, but I read it, and I had to go deeper into it. And he was talking about when he said the, the word spiritual, what is spiritual and what is not. The idea, the concept that Paul had in First Corinthians is that the things which are spiritual are things which are animated by the pneuma, by the breath of God. That there are some people, some things, some ways of living that are more animated by the breath of God than others. And so while we all bear the image of Christ and while your createdness is holy and beautiful and that being made human is lovely, that, that there is a way that we can live our lives actually animated by the Spirit. And so each week, what I want to do as we move forward is I want to look at the way that Jesus inhabited his world. And the first text to highlight are some of the only hints, and I wish that there was more text here. I wish that there was more text between 12 and 30 that we had to reflect on, because I wish 
I that would just be the best. Like here, all kids going through like puberty, just read whatever book this is and leave me alone. But the the hints that we have are from this text. So can I get the the large uh, text that was at the end? It says, "And Jesus grew in wisdom, and in stature, and in favor with God and man." Wisdom, the right application of knowledge, stature, the care and growth of his body, his createdness, the stuff of life, favor with God, his vertical relationships, there was peace and rightness and holiness, favor with man, his horizontal relationships were in order. And I get this sense as I read this text that Jesus the hints that we have of how did he live his life until he was called into his ministry was that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. I wonder how was he as a business man? He was respected in his community. He was trusted. He was devoted. He was self-controlled. He was a faithful Jewish Man, he was qualified to be a rabbi. There were all of these things that before he ever knew what he was called to, and the language of calling is really tricky anyways because the, the sense that we actually have from the text about what calling is is a bit different than I've heard it. But Jesus was living his life faithfully all the way up until his Ministry, and it says that he grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So some of that has to mean what it looks like to be a human. And so I would encourage us to ask not, okay, so I actually put here in like asterisk pause to push back against the internal drive to turn this into the question, so how do I grow in wisdom and in stature and in faith? Like, that's the turn that we make so automatically as we turn it into, okay, I'm going to leave this story behind and I'm going to consume this about me. And I want to pause us, and it feels so, even as I'm doing this now, I was like, oh, it's such a different way and I don't even know how to do it that well. But how do we pause our temptation to just turn everything that we read into something to consume? How do we pause and we look at what kind of world Jesus inhabited? How do we pause to appreciate? How do we pause to be grateful? Um, We bought Sierra a fish tank for Christmas, and then we filled it with a beta fish. And this beta fish didn't look very good from the start, and that's going to be my story of why this beta fish didn't survive too long in our house is I'm just going to conclude that it was not ready for the world. But um, long story short, um, I, I, it was our tester fish. I don't like to test out my inadequacies of how I can raise and care for things on actual living creatures. But um, when I, after we went and we had it replaced, Petco has like a return policy on fish. And I was like, that's how you know fish are not really when there's a return policy. Um, so when we got our new fish, 
the thing that I, I that became so clear for me is how we talked about Annabelle. Yes, his name was Annabelle. Okay, Sierra just she does her own thing. She doesn't care about rules or anything. So his name was Annabelle, and when we talk about Annabelle, we talk about how fun Annabelle was, and we and we reflect on the two weeks that that we had this fish. Okay, but when I think about the ways that we're, we're meant to look at the life of Christ, how quickly it becomes about us. How quickly it becomes about, okay, now what do I have to do leaving here? And, and, and it turns into this application so quick that sometimes I wonder if what we're meant to do is leave here and ask questions and be curious and not know. I wonder if we're meant to leave here and say, what is it about the fact that I am educated, that I am Western, that I'm post-enlightenment, that I have all of these things which put a lot of distance between me and the world that Jesus inhabited? What does that mean I don't understand? How can I be more curious about what is the distance between me and this world that I could try to, to kind of reflect on? And remember, and even if it's not trying to study, what about Jesus's life, like the beautiful two-week life of Annabelle, can I just tell stories about and be appreciative of? And say, like, oh, remember when Annabelle did that flip, which I think retroactively we put the fish into too cold of water and put it in shock. Um, But the story we will tell Sierra and that we will engage her with forever is that Annabelle did a nice little flip for us before he before he died. Um, What ways are we engaging the stories of Jesus where we just tell the stories of Jesus? And we don't turn so quickly into the, okay, but now I need it to be about me. And I don't think that it's wrong to ask questions about how we apply it for us too. I don't think that that's wrong. I just think that we have gotten so far removed from the kind of culture which was a very storytelling culture. And it was a question-asking culture. And they were much better with mystery than we are. They're much better with not knowing. And some of that, I think, actually enables them to see what Jesus was on about. It's that is that he would come and he would be asked pointed questions and he would leave people with five more questions than they came. Because it was a time when asking good questions and diving into that was how we got into the stuff of life. So when we study what it means to live like Jesus, I would ask us each week to pause against that internal move that we all make that says, okay, now how do I consume this? So each week, my hope is to end not with a definitive or clever morsel to take home, but that we would go home asking questions, feeling a sense of awe and a sense of being, like Paul says, compelled. Are we compelled? How often do we leave church feeling compelled to live a new way of life? And if the answer is not often, if, if church has become one place where we're just safe from the rain and we're safe from the crazy things that happen out there in the real world, then church is actually a horrible place. If church is a place where we just escape reality, I know that that's comforting, and I think that that's good, and there are times where we need to just 
take a breather. And sometimes I think church can be a fantastic place for that. But if we are never bringing the things of our real life and our real heart and the real things that are happening, we never get to allow the grief that exists when we read the headlines to, to show up as we sit and we sift through what it means to follow Christ. If church is just an escape from all of that, I actually think we are moving away from Christ. And he's calling us to look at our world head on. So each week, I want to leave with some questions. And so the three that came up for me this week were this. Does my life in Christ feel like something that is more about consuming or about being compelled? Where in my life have I made Christ in my image? When I read these texts, when I read the Bible, how much am I challenged? In what ways do I actually see the life of Christ looking different than how I am? We, we should be reading the text in a way that, that we are challenged and that we don't know. And I think that that's beautiful and that's good. And the last question, what is the stuff of my life that I have determined is not sacred or holy? Or which parts of my life do I believe God is indifferent? Where do I think God does not care about this part of who I am? Can we take these questions and rather than trying to convince anyone of the right answers for us, can we talk with each other about what this means for our communities? What does this mean for the community that just had a mass shooting? How does this matter? How do we live this out? God, would you have grace and mercy for us as we try our best? And so each week as well, I want to assign some reading. And I think that in this way of reading the text, um, it actually opens up an opportunity for us to read the text less uh, maybe devotionally and more as, more maybe biographically. And so you can read larger chunks of text without feeling that pressure of having to understand each of the words. And so it is a much larger narrative. And I want to encourage us each week to read uh, an upcoming part of the text. And so this upcoming week, if you don't have, uh, if, if you haven't ever been asked, hey, let's just read this as a community, I would encourage you to read uh, Luke chapters 1 through 3. If you don't have any sort of set reading plan, read it without pausing. Read it once a day straight through and ask, ask yourself that when you pause that temptation to, to study it and to break it up and to make it all these bite-sized morsels and we're just looking at this life of Christ, what comes up? What do we feel compelled to? And I think that that is a great set of chapters as well that we will unpack later where um, we will see all of these and these expectations that Jesus was born into and what a profound disappointment he was to so many people for that reason. And I want to um, get more into that in the upcoming weeks. And so we will be talking about living like Jesus, and so yeah, the first week, Jesus was a human 
that um, that that was very much engaged with the stuff of life, and that with a little bit of imagination we can see that the sacred parts inhabit the stuff that God became flesh that the it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we've beheld the glory that the glory is seen in God inhabiting these very practical parts of what it means to be made human Um, I'm going to close this in prayer and while I do that I'm going to call the worship team back up and then we have an opportunity to embody what this actually means and one of the practices of of actually partaking of the stuff of life knowing that it's been infused with with a with holy sacredness is partaking of communion that there's um and i'm not getting into some sort of argument about transubstantiation if that's something that interests you i'll talk about that later but just to say that it is the body of Christ that, that we take in and it becomes our life. That the very stuff of his life becomes ours. And so we actually have a practice of taking communion. Um, we, have, we have grape juice and we have wine and we have bread and we also have small cups that are wafers with grape juice also. And we take communion every week and it's at your own pace. And so I would encourage you Uh, to come up whenever you'd like and partake of communion. We also do bitter herbs. Um, And if that's something that's new for you and you would rather talk to one of us about what that means before you feel comfortable taking it, I would encourage you, ask questions. Ask questions about what does this mean? Why are we doing this? And as we ask questions, we actually live more like Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, Uh, we can come away from our time at church feeling discouraged or encouraged or confused or more clear and just ask that you would have grace for all of us as we go out asking questions of what does this mean how how does your life compel us have grace for us for all the ways that we do it so poorly or would would you pour out your spirit would, would Long Beach experience a clear movement of your spirit inhabiting what we are up to? Would you move through, through all of the churches that meet today that you would start to stir something in the hearts of, of, all, of all of us? That as we even talk, as we move, as we do the things that we do, the very mundane parts of a life would you rise up in our conversations in our imaginations in our dreams what it, what your spirit would have us do we need you to to infuse what we are up to or else it is just noise thank you for your son thank you that we have this word to reflect on and we pray all of all of these things in your name amen